0: We've been away from our Genesis series for a couple weeks, so we're going to return back to Genesis. And let's open in prayer as we get ready to look at his word. Lord, we just thank for this day. We thank for the opportunity we have to come and worship you and to lift your name on high and just to be edified one, one to another and that you will be lifted up and exalted. Lord, we ask that you bless this time as we look at your word and that you will guide and lead in what you would have us to see from this in your son's precious name. Amen. Genesis chapter 9 starting at verse 1 and God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air and upon all that moves upon the earth and all the fish of the sea into your hands they are delivered every moving thing that lives shall be meat for you even as the green herb have I given you all things. But the flesh of the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, you shall not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of a man. Whoso sheds blood, man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. And you... Be you fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply therein. And we're going to stop there and look at this. Three weeks ago, we left Noah and and all of his family coming off of the ark. And today we're going to look at uh, the world has changed in many ways at the time they come off the ark. We shared, of course, the biggest one is the entire face of the earth has been altered. All right, and if anybody's ever been around a flood and seen the resulting devastation of a flood, the land totally looks different after a major flood and this flood covered the world. So the entire face of the world has changed. God has broken up the foundations of the grounds. The tectonic plates have shifted and and created mountains that are probably larger than what they saw. And there's subtle things we see in this chapter that have changed, and we want to kind of look at this. The first thing God said is he blessed Noah and his sons. Now we use the word bless in the Christian church all the time. Have you ever really thought of what it means to be blessed? Most people associate blessing with, well I've got money and health and everything is going good. Now if you've walked the Christian life any length of time, you know that that's not what true blessing is. (laughs) Okay. Yes, I've got peace and I've got a lot of things, but I don't have a huge bank account and I've been following God for over four decades. And if blessing was having material things after 40 years, I should have a huge bank account. Uh, Now, it's not saying a bank account is bad it's not a good blessing, but blessing has to be much more than our material things. Job lost all of his money. He lost his health. Yet God would have said he was blessed. And we need to look at what does it mean to be blessed. Blessed is an inherent happiness or joy that's in us. As a Christian, we walk through this life not always happy. I'm not going to say we're always happy. But do you know, do you understand that there's a peace that passes understanding in us? That even when bad things happen, we know God's got a reason for it. And that is a blessing that we have that we can say, God, you're in control. Blessing is that Inner peace that is outside of everything that's going on around us. We can be a blessed people, and people look at us and say, "How can you be blessed when all the, when everything bad is happening to you?" And then you look back and you say, "Yes, God, that was a blessing. It was a blessing that I had whatever it is that you went through. <laughs> you know, I I was in the hospital for a week, but it was a blessing. I was able to minister to people. I have a friend who." He was blessing, thanking God for the cancer that he had because he had a captive audience for an hour as he took his chemotherapy and whoever was next to him was a captive audience (laughs) as he told him the gospel. Paul said the same thing when he was in Rome in prison, chained to four guards every day for four hours at a time. He didn't look at at that as something terrible. He looked at, I've got a captive audience that's gonna hear the gospel and they can't go anywhere for four hours. (laughs) Would that be the way we would look at it? You know, or would we be miserable? I'm chained to these stupid guards, and you know, how can I? How can this be good? And Paul's looking at it. I'm going to keep ministering. I'm going to. They're going to hear the gospel. I've got. He says I've got 12 different people every day to talk to. uh, 16. Excuse me. 16 different people to talk to every day. Is that the way we would look at it? You know, blessing. We need to get rid of this idea of of being blessed monetarily, being blessed with health, being blessed, because God has a plan. And I have known and and seen this over the years that everything that happens to me, God had a plan for. How often have I gone through something and it was an opportunity to use to share with somebody? Or an opportunity to show how God is faithful even in the midst of an opportunity as the world looks at you and say, "How how can you still have a smile on your face? How could you still be okay with your God? If I had that much bad things, I would be cursing God we have that opportunity to experience a blessing, internal peace, internal joy, that is much deeper than happy. Happy is all related to what's going on. I'm happy because some, something good is going on. Uh, I'm happy because my Miami Dolphins are playing today. <laughs> They'll probably get beat, but <laughs> they made the playoffs. <laughs> but you know, but is, my, is my overall happiness in those kind of things? No. Our happiness needs to be in God, our joy, our peace. And God says he's blessed Noah and his sons, and he gave them a command, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. It's kind of amazing that God has never rescinded this idea of be fruitful and multiply. Our liberal world says we have too many people in this world. (laughs) Uh, When I was in college, these people were telling us there's way too many people in this world, and that was in the 90s. And they had this idea that we only needed about a quarter million people in the world, and man was the problem of this world. It's kind of sad when you think about it. God says be fruitful and multiply. Satan's plan is to get rid of all the people and not have new, new people in this world. And it's very interesting, the, the diversity of the plans. We've talked a lot about this. When God says something, Satan gives a whole lot of opposites. God says there's one way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Satan and the world comes up, well, just do more good. Uh, meditate yourself into it. Uh, you know, hey, live enough lives and you'll get there. <laughs> uh, have your people pray for you after you die so they'll get you there. You know, We've got all kinds of other ways that the world tries to say you can get to heaven. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so we look at this, and we can look at all of these things. God says, he calls sin, sin. What does the world call most of the sins that we have out there now? Sicknesses, or even worse, it's okay, you know, just do it because it makes you feel good. You now, we no longer have drunks, we have alcoholics, and they call alcoholism a, a disease instead of a sin. We have all these things, you're no longer a thief, you're a kleptomaniac, you just can't help yourself. But do you understand what's going on in our world? What God says is a sin that we're accountable for, Satan in the world is trying to say, it's diseases, you just can't help yourself. Well, it is kind of a disease. We are sinners, we are, we are born sinners, we are going to sin. So in on one sense, it may be a disease, but we're still accountable for the sin that we do. And Jesus says, just as our verse says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We need to keep that, we need to keep that in mind. The next thing that we see in verse two, the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and on every fowl of the earth and on every fowl of the air and of everything that moves on the earth and upon the fish and you are delivered into your hands. And this idea of delivered means that they were bestowed and given with the idea of oppression And if you look back in Genesis 1, we're going to look at Genesis 1 real quick. I'm going to read all the verses that we'll talk about. In uh, verse 26, And the Lord said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the air, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over uh, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female, and he created him. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth and every tree which is is of the fruit of the tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for food." And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creeps upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for, fruit, for meat or food, and it was so. God put fear of man on the animals. This is new. Before, they had rule over the whole earth. And we've got to keep in mind, when God talks about rule, he is not talking about tyranny, which is what happens so often in our world. You give people power and it goes to their head and they try almost always to abuse it. I spent many years in restaurant management and I would promote somebody who was a very good leader, very good at leading people, and as soon as you gave them a title, something went, clicked in their head and they turned into a tyrant for a shift or two and you had to pull them aside and say, I promoted you because you were a good leader. I'm not promoting you to be a tyrant over people. Godly leadership serves. And we see Jesus in the upper room with his, with his disciples and he washes their feet. Now we kind of read that and we go, okay, what's the big deal? But in their day and age, the person who washed your feet, that job was given to the servant who could do nothing right. Okay, you gave it to the servant who every time they touched a plate or a cup, dropped it and broke it. They swept the floor and missed the dirt. <laughs> you know, this is the person you gave to, the, to do the feet washing. It was the most incompetent servant. And Jesus did the job that the least servant was doing. Does that change the way you look at that story a little bit? It's not just him being nice, washing their dirty feet. It's him stepping down and saying, I'm gonna do the lowliest job. This is where a good leader is. The good leader is one that will say there's nothing beneath me to be able to do because it has to be done. And if you've ever had a boss like that the flip side of having a boss like that is you want to do everything for that boss. (laughs) Because they're willing to do anything and usually what you want to do for them is you know, the world will tell you, well, you going get taken advantage of if you're that way. That's not been my experience. People really step up and say, I want to, this person will do whatever needs to be done. I want to help. Here, God's saying, now the animals are going to fear you. You're not just ruling over them. There is fear. Okay, now we know we have domesticated animals that come up to us. But most wild animals will not come up to you just because. Now we can tame them, we can give them enough food that they'll come up to us, but they're still wild animals. If, you, if you've ever looked and heard on things, when, when people do lion taming and, and work with you know, wild animals that are especially dangerous, and the one thing that they keep saying they have to remember is, this animal is wild. Mm-hmm. This animal is and can become aggressive uh, given the right conditions. We need to keep that in mind, and even a domesticated animal you mess with your dog when he's eating his food, you might get bit. Okay, uh, or you get scratched if you try to take you know something away that they really want. You know, when they're chewing on your cl- your favorite shoe that you want back, and they don't want to let it go. Uh, you know, and they they think it's they think it's become a, a chew toy, and they might just snap at you. And you try to discipline them. There's a fear of an- of man on animals, and this is a different in the way life was after the flood, is before the flood. Verse 3 is a huge difference. Every moving thing that liveth shall be food for you, as a green herb as I have given you. All of a sudden, meat was allowed. And if you remember, I just got done reading here that God gave to man and animals every herb and every green fruit that grows a seed. So originally, and this is something you want, if you have somebody who's really strong in their vegetarianism and say that, you know, we were created to eat meat, uh, to eat vegetables, they're right, we were. All the animals were created to eat, eat vegetables and, and, and grain. But God said after the flood, he changed the rules and said you can eat meat. So if you have some of these people who are really gung-ho then they're told and say well we can't eat meat because we weren't created that way well they're calling God a liar and saying that God didn't give us permission now they don't recognize that but they are calling God a liar God has changed the way that we are allowed to eat now can too much be be bad for us probably but you know what I love my meat I'm not giving it up <laughs> God said I can eat it I'm gonna eat it <laughs> so uh but it is a change and he says this is one of the differences from before the flood and after the flood. That God allowed food to be eaten and allowed animals to eat each other. Because you know, a, a lot of people will say, well how did, God, how did Noah keep all the animals separate in the ark? Well he didn't have to anyway because they weren't eating meat either. This is a change that's gonna happen after the flood. They're, the animals eat meat. And a lot of the world will tell you, well what about these sharp teeth that animals have? Well, there's a lot of animals that are strictly vegetarians that have very sharp teeth. They use them to tear things like nuts apart. Uh, pandas have very sharp teeth. They don't eat meat, but they eat bamboo. And bamboo is very tough and needs to be shredded. There's good reason for them to have the teeth that they have. And we don't, they don't have sharp teeth just because they needed it to tear meat apart. There's lots of vegetables and fruits out there that that are tough for the animals and needed teeth. So, again, I want to really point out, and I keep bringing this up, God has a way that we're supposed to think, and it should match the scriptures. The world's going to have all kinds of other excuses and reasons out there. We need to know our Bibles well enough to say, this is what God says, in spite of what the world tells us. And that's the whole purpose of this whole section that I'm doing through the first 11 chapters of Genesis. So that we start getting a biblical look at the beginnings. Because the world has a whole bunch of silly things they're going to tell us. And we want to just understand how silly, number one, what they tell us is, and how there's other arguments for it. You know, one of the things that you know, you'll know you hear, and I give a test out at the, at the prison for the for the GED and they have this idea of comparative anatomy which says because our arm has the same bone structure as a fin of a fish and a wing of a bird and and all these that that's proof that we evolved from one another. (laughs) Well it is also proof that there's one designer who kept using the same design over and over again. Just as anybody who's into architecture can look at buildings and say that building was designed by some famous architect. Why? Because it has his lines and his marks and his and he keeps you basically they do what everybody else do. Here's my first start of plans, and we'll, we'll alter the, the plan to meet what this new client wants. When I was computer programmer, most of our programming was the same way. You took a program that already existed and you modified it to, to do what the new new program's supposed to do. Very rarely did you ever go and say, oh, I'm gonna start from scratch. You know, anybody who plays any of these little computer games that are, that you draw, you make three things line up, you know, there's thousands of them now, and lots of people are making money on them, but they're all, all they're doing is changing the picture, and it's the same game. Mm-hmm. If you've ever noticed it, it's the same game. They put some little twist here or there, but it's the same game. Over and over and over and over and over again. I look at some of these, I'm going, how could they keep selling these? It's the same game. It's the same one that's been out for 20 years. Used to just be line of the circles. Now you do all these other things. But we want to look at this. Be very careful about what you hear the world say and look and say, what does God say? Because I've already told you, Satan has lies. He's going to give you lots of different lies to believe and and try to understand. But God has the answers. And his book is held up for thousands of years the New Testament for 2,000 years, and the Old Testament for closer to 4,000 years. It's amazing the truths that are in God's word that our scientists are quote-unquote discovering. It's kind of amazing, you, they'll go, and we just learned that this, you know, this condition happens when you do this, and I'm going well, yeah, that's what Proverbs says. That's what Ecclesiastes says. and You're just now discovering it? We need to to get into into the word. We need to get to see what God says and know that it's true. He's preserved his book. He's preserved the information in here. Ecclesiastes kept saying, there is nothing new under the sun. And I love that statement because when somebody says this is happening, I'm going, well, yeah, it's always been happening. Corrupt politicians, nothing new about that. You know, go through history, go through the Bible. There's corrupt politicians all through the Bible even. Nothing new. The majority being wrong, almost all the time. Which is the scary thing about democracies is that they, they are based upon the, democ- the, the majority being right. The majority always does what's good for them. Not what's right, but what's good for them. And, that, and if they hurt others in the process, it doesn't matter to, to the majority usually. We need to be very careful as we look and say, what does God say? All through the scriptures, we see the majority being wrong. That's why he sent prophets to them. Get right. Start following me. And as Christians, we're going to stand up many times against the majority. We're seeing it in our world today. How often do we as Christians run run against the PC crowd? You can't say this because it's going to offend somebody. I'm going to tell you, the people in Jesus' day were offended by Jesus because he spoke the truth and they didn't like what they heard. They did not like what Jesus said to him, and they killed him. He said, the world hated me, they're going to hate you. And as we stand up and say, this is what God says. Now, I'm not going to sit there and try at a gunpoint and try to make somebody believe what God says, but I'm going to tell them what God says. Sin is sin, whether they like it or not. Whether I like it or not. And there's times in my life when I'm reading through the Bible I'm going, oh, what I'm doing is a sin. And I have a choice at that moment to say, am I going to obey God or am I going to reject it? And I'm just like everybody else. There's times when I say, yes, I'm going to still sin because I have a problem with it. And there's times when I say, okay, God, I understand I'm quitting. I'm getting better on the I understand I'm quitting now that I'm getting older. It's quicker. I used to be very slow at it. (laughs) But the challenge for us is if we read his word, are we going to stand up for what he says? Are we going to change our life as he reveals sin to us? And I can tell you the one great news, and anybody who's been walking with God for any length of time will say the same thing. The more you walk with God, the more he's taken out of your life, the more you see you still have to take out of your life. Kind of a sad, depressing thought. <laughs> the, the closer I get to God, the more I have to take out of my life, and the more I have to work at becoming like God. We're going to be doing that for our entire life until we pass away and we get to go home and he gives us a glorified body that's perfect. In the meantime, we get to work at sanctifying our life. doesn't mean that we're ever going to be perfect. matter of fact, I can tell you we're probably never going to be perfect on this lifetime. If you do, maybe you'll be like uh, Elijah and Enoch and you'll get translated straight to God. He says, okay, you're almost here, we'll just take you home. Uh, There is coming a time when when he's going to take the church home. But not because of our perfection, but because he's ready to cast wrath upon this world. But there is this idea of the fear that God has placed on him. Then he says, surely your blood of your lives I will require at the hand of every beast. I will require it at the hand of man and the hand of man and at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of a man. We're going to go into last. Whoso sheds man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. God has a reason why man is special. We are made in His image. Now, what does it mean to be made in His image? Does this mean that God's a spirit out there someplace with two legs, two arms, a head, two eyes, two ears, a nose, and just like us? No, that is not what it means to be made in God's image. But we are made like God in that we are rational. We are creative. We have the desire to be relational with one another. We have this idea of being able to see things that aren't and make them happen. Just as God created. He gave us the power to be like him in many ways. Now we can't create things out of nothing like God did. God just spoke and everything appeared. But we can manipulate what God has given us. We have this rationalization that I am. We worry about the future way too often. Uh, you know, I've never seen any birds you know, go collect a bunch of uh, worms and stick them in a, in a safe someplace. They know that God's going to feed them. And that's what he says. And you know, Jesus said, you know, look at the birds of the air. He feeds them. I don't know about you, but you realize that uh, we have this statement, we eat like a bird. And I don't know anybody who eats like a bird in reality. Because in reality, a bird eats three times its weight in food every day. So when you're telling somebody you eat like a bird, you're really not to be very complimentary to them at all. For me, I don't think I could eat like a bird. That would be 900 pounds of food every day. I don't think I could eat that much. But we we want to be very careful. Birds are eating all the time. And God provides for them. God is going to provide for us. Too often we worry about things that we have no control over. It's been said that nine-tenths of what you worry about doesn't happen. And a lot of people spend a lot of time worrying for nothing. God says, cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. He wants you just to trust in him. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do anything for the future. It doesn't mean you don't put money away for your retirement. Or, but that can also get too big a deal. I know people who just never, never put away enough money. Yeah, they're still putting away money. They're, I know one guy, if I recall, he's 76 years old, still putting money away for his retirement. <laughs> and it's like, uh, when are you going to retire? <laughs> when I get in a little more money. I go, how much do you have there? And I can't remember what it was, but it was some huge amount of money. He could live to about 130 and still never run out of money. But do you understand how that can be, though? People get so worried about everything that might possibly happen. I'm going to let God worry for me. Trust God. It's so much more comforting to let him deal with it. He's bigger. He's able to deal with it. Matter of fact, he'll make sure it gets taken care of. We need to be able to look at this and say, we're made in God's image. This is what makes man so special. This is why Satan hates man because we're in the image of God. He hates mankind. His goal is to take as many people to hell, not because hell is a place where he's gonna have uh, comfort by having so many people, because hell is a place where they're isolated and not gonna have that relationship. His plan is to hurt God take away God's favorite part of his creation away from him. This is also the reason that life is becoming so cheap in this day because we're forgetting that life is given to us in God's image. There's a preciousness of life that God brings out and now we're facing this whole idea of, you know, we'll kill babies in the womb just because the mother doesn't want the child. We're starting to move toward, let's get rid of the old people because they're a drain on society, because they're not making anything, so we're going to just kill them off. We're having a point, well, if you just don't think you're worth it, go ahead and kill yourself. The lax attitude toward life that we're seeing as we get further away from God is a terrible thing. But God does say that if somebody kills a person that they, des- they deserve to be killed and he is all for capital punishment, but it's not for man to go out in a vigilante style and go execute people. He said, don't do that. He put the government in charge of being able to do that. All through the scriptures, he says, it has to be a court case. You have to have two witnesses that testify, two or more witnesses that testify of this person having malice in their, in their execution of, the- of their killing of that person. God puts limits on it, but it's because of the total value God puts on life that he says to do it. And we need to be able to look at this. This is a change. We're seeing this whole idea of God changing this. But I want to also point out, he also required it of animals. If an animal killed a man, that animal was, to be, was, going, to be die, was going to be put to death as well. Again, the value of life, of, of life. We need to get back to the value of life in our, in our day-to-day walk. The value of life drives us as a Christian church to build hospitals, to build orphanages, to build areas that care for the poor. Why? Because we say life is important. And I don't know if you know your history well enough, and I've covered this before. Before Christianity, if you were somebody who was an orphan, good luck on living. You had to go out and beg, borrow, steal, whatever you could to try to to survive because nobody cared about you. An orphan was worthless in that day. If you were a widow and had no family, you were in trouble, you were gonna die. If you were a soldier who lost your leg in a battle or an arm in a battle, you were just cast aside, you were worthless as far as the world was concerned. Christianity came along and cared for people and made those changes. The scary thing is, as we get away from Christian morals, we're starting to see that same idea that life is worthless. Now that person's just not any, they're a drain on society, you know, let them go. We're not to the worst part yet, but we're getting worse. Every year, it seems to get worse. And if you look back decade by decade, you really see the changes. God says, life is important. We need to keep that mind that life is important. Every life is important because it's made in God's image. That image has been distorted by sin. Man's fault really distorted that image. We have a problem with it because we are not the beings that Adam and Eve were created to be. Their sin tainted not only man, that tainted the world. The world is suffering. Paul says that the world groans waiting for the manifestation of Jesus Return, and we see it. Natural disasters, all these things that happen. Thorns and thistles growing from the ground. How would you like to have been Adam and Eve, a farmer? You're you're to care for a garden, and all it does is produce the right stuff. No weeds. Yeah. No weeds in your garden. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, no goat heads growing in your grass, <laughs> in your yard. No choyas. No, no, you know. <laughs> None of these things out there that would cause us all these pains and God says that's how he created the world. The world has changed because of sin. The world changed after the flood. We need to keep these things in mind. And then God said one more time, and this is twice already in this section but also back, be fruitful and multiply. And we as Christians also need to be fruitful and multiply. We need to be bringing other people to Christ. This world, apart from Christ, is headed for hell. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God is our memory verse we're working on now. The second one we're going to memorize next week, the next month, will be For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Every single person who has lived other than Jesus Christ has sinned. And if anybody tries to tell you they've never sinned, they're, they're sinning right there at that moment because they're lying because they've sinned. Every single person is told a to lie in their lifetime. Every single person has probably stolen something small in their lifetime, used God's name in vain, especially in our day and age. You know, uh, you know, our kids are, u- are using it uh, all the time when they put OMG on their, on their things, they're saying, oh my God, and they're not, not talking to God. They're using his name very loosely, very, very lightly, and they're, and they're using it vainly. How many times have we done that type of thing? Said, Oh Lord, or Oh God, and we're not praying to God. We need to be careful. We, we do this as Christians all the time. Everybody has sinned, and the wages of sin is death. We want to be very careful because we've earned something. What are wages? they're what you earn. We, by just walking on this earth, sinning, have earned eternal death. But God has a gift of, his, of Jesus. Jesus lived a life that was perfect so he could die for our sins. And that is the gift that he has out there. And then God says, if you come to me, come to me. We confess our sins, we go, we turn to him and say, God, I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. I want to turn from my sins, come into my life and forgive me. He will come in. Then you get to start a new life. With him as your Lord, him as your Savior, him as your leader. Does it mean you're going to be perfect? No. But there will be changes in your life. There will be a new life given to you. In Corinthians, we're told, therefore we are a new creation. A new creation. God changes us. He pulls us aside and says, I'm going to change it. In Jeremiah, he says he takes out the stony heart against God and puts in a fleshly heart that wants to serve him. We want to be able to serve him, and it takes him to do it. Without him, we have no hope. He is a good judge. A lot of people say, well, I hope I do more good than bad. Sorry, in a court of law, good does not outweigh bad. If you stand up in front of a judge, and, and even in our judicial system, as bad as it is, and say, hey, I'm a pretty good person. I've done, I've done more good than bad. Sure I, sure, I pulled the trigger and killed that guy. But other than that, I've been a really good guy. I've never done anything like that before. The good judge is not gonna say, okay, you're a really good person, I'm gonna let you go. They're gonna say, okay, you admitted you're guilty. Guilty, you go to prison, or the electric chair, or whatever, whatever the punishment is. God is a good judge. He doesn't say your good will outweigh your bad. He doesn't say you're you're basically a good person. You've only made a handful of mistakes. And we can't ever say that we probably have done more good than bad in our lifetime. God says without Jesus, we're guilty. When Jesus stands up for us, he says, I shed my blood for them and they accepted my gift. Father, they're perfect. That is what we get into heaven with, being perfect. So we wanna look at this as we look at the changes. God made man in his image and he wants to return us to his image. We have a high standard that we've lived before. And we're going to go ahead and close here in prayer. And if you don't know Jesus, I want to encourage you right now today would be a great day for you just to say, God, I'm a sinner. I deserve punishment. Come into my life and save me. And if you do that, if you're on the internet, send us a message. We'll help you out. If you're here, talk to me. But we just want to keep that in mind. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that number one, you created us in your image, that you made us special, that we are the epitome of your creation and that you love us. You love us enough to have died for our sins and to pay that price. And you chose to do that even before you created us because you knew what we would do and you chose to do that. Lord, we thank you if there's anybody that has listened to this message and responded, Lord, we ask that they start a walk and they look at getting discipled in a church and with a pastor. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.